0: But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Father, as we sit underneath your word this morning, God, our hearts are humbled by the realization that as we read your word, God, we know that, uh, that you speak through what you have spoken. That the God of the universe is speaking to us today. And God, more than anything else, we pray That you would reveal your son Jesus to us in a greater way this morning. That you would help us to see him high and lifted up. That you would help us to, to grasp and lay hold of all that he has done for us through his death and resurrection. And Holy Spirit, we also ask that you would just speak a fresh word to our own hearts. Spirit, give us ears to hear what you want to say to your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt insecure in a relationship? You don't have to raise your hand. That would be awkward. But have you ever been in a relationship and just felt like you weren't really sure where you stood in that relationship? You weren't really sure how that other person felt about you and so in that relationship, you just carried with you a sense of not being sure that you measure up which led to a a sense of insecurity. At Reality LA, um, I get to be the pastor for marriage and family which means that I do a ton of weddings every year and I get to do a lot of premarital counseling. And one of the things I really love about walking with couples as they prepare for marriage is talking to them about this idea of covenant. That when you get married, what you are doing is you are making promises to one another that no matter how hard it may get, you are willing to stick it out no matter what. That in the covenant of marriage, there is such a security and a safety of, of, of knowing that because we are in covenant, uh, I don't have to worry that you're going to bail on me if I don't measure up or if things get hard. And see, the, the, the covenant itself, it creates intimacy in a marriage. That's why J.D. Bonhoeffer said that famous quote, he said, it's not love that will sustain your marriage, but it is your marriage that will sustain your love. It's, it's this idea of covenant creating love and intimacy. Because it's impossible to have real intimacy in a relationship if you don't trust that the other person isn't gonna bail on you. When things get difficult, or when you don't measure up, or when something better presents itself you need to know that they're with you no matter what. And insecurity is the greatest enemy of intimacy. And what's true about marriage is also true in our relationship with God. I think some of us carry a lot of insecurity in our relationship with the Lord. We often struggle to feel safe with God when either we don't trust the way that he feels about us or we don't trust that he's not going to give up on us. Especially when we're struggling. Especially when we know that we're not living up to his standard. In the book of Hebrews, it was written to a community of Christians who were feeling that way too. Many of them were on the verge of turning their back on Jesus and giving up on the faith, walking away. And part of their problem was their own passivity. Another part of their problem was persecution that they were experiencing at their time. But, but whatever it was, they were tempted to throw in the towel on Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is pleading with them throughout this entire letter not to give up, to endure, calling them to keep pressing on and following Jesus. That to turn away from Jesus is to turn away from the only hope any of us have. That the wholeness and safety that these Christians were longing for can only be found in Jesus. And maybe some of you here today are struggling to feel secure with God right now. Or you find yourself questioning the way that he feels about you. You need to look no further than the perfect once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. I want us to consider three things from this passage this morning. Three things about Jesus' perfect sacrifice that will give us greater confidence in our relationship with him. And the first point is this. Your righteousness does not depend on you. Your sense of well-being with God, your sense of rightness in the presence of God, does not depend on you. The writer of Hebrews, he, he begins by contrasting for them the reality of life under the Old covenant versus life under the New covenant in Christ, to make the point you don't want to go back to that. What you have in Jesus is so much better. See, the old system of laws and sacrifices, they could never fix the real problem. And their problem was our problem too. It's the problem of sin. And that's not just the need to be forgiven, but also to be released of the emotional weight that sin brings with it. The feeling of guilt and shame and fear. The problem was that the old system was never able to deal with sin completely. And so there was always a sense of not completely measuring up, which only fueled fear, uncertainty, and doubt in people's minds. And in verse 3, we're told that the sacrificial system, it couldn't deal perfectly with our sin and its effects. In fact, that the repetition that these sacrifices needed to have was evidence of the fact that it wasn't sufficient. These things had to go on and they had to continue. And they only served as reminders of our sinfulness. Our sin cannot be atoned for by anything that you or I do. And that is what was insufficient about the old covenant. Let's look again at verses one through four. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Making sacrifices and trying to keep rules isn't enough to set us right with God. You see, the law, it couldn't cleanse people of moral guilt. It was never able to do that. The law was about purifying sacred spaces, cleanliness. Temporarily making people able to participate in worship. God would say, you're unclean. Now go and make a sacrifice and then you will be clean and you can enter into worship. Good. Now you need to do that again and again and again. Every time you approach me. And you weren't guiltless when you made these sacrifices, but you were able to participate in the system. And the writer of Hebrews is saying here that that system is just inferior. And the repetition of those sacrifices proves that. You see, the law and the sacrifices, they had a place in the old system. They weren't bad, but they were one thing, and this new thing in Christ is superior. One completes the other. And what makes Jesus' sacrifice perfect is that he only had to do it once, Laws and sacrifices couldn't perfect anyone. And he uses that word perfect here, being made perfect. And some of us stumble over that word perfect. We think about a perfect square or a perfect circle. But the way the Bible uses the word perfect is to bring something to its desired goal or completion. The law couldn't bring us to its desired goal. And that wasn't its purpose. In fact, Paul would say that the law is a schoolmaster. It is a tutor. It is a diagnostic. The law is able to expose our sin and show us where we fall short, but it never had the power in itself to fix us. The law and the sacrifices were never able to get us where we needed to be to God's desired goal for us, to be forgiven. And not just to be forgiven, but to take away the burden of our conscience, to relieve the emotional weight that sin brings with it, fear and guilt and shame. Now, I don't think any of you are tempted to go back to the old system, right? That's that's not our temptation, right? To go back to the law and sacrifices. But let me ask you, What are the repeated actions or practices that you do go back to that make you feel clean when you do them? My conscience is gonna be clean. My shame is gonna go away. My guilt is gonna be numbed. What are the repeated actions we turn to hoping that they'll perfect us or make us feel clean or give us a sense of righteousness when we do them? But in the end, are only ever able to remind us of our sins. Can you think of any? Can I give you a couple examples? In our church, Reality LA, and I doubt this ever happens in Carpinteria, but this happens at Reality LA. We tend to make other people the problem. Some of us consistently demonize people who don't believe like we do or don't hold to the same convictions about things the way that we do. Maybe things like politics, let's say, or the vaccines or ideas about race and justice. Some of us feel really good about ourselves because at least I don't believe what that person believes. At least I didn't vote for that guy right? When your positions compared to their positions make you feel righteous. And listen, I'm not saying that our positions on these issues don't matter. And you might even be right in your position, but it doesn't make you holy. And what happens is that attitude often just numbs us to the disgusting things in our own hearts, Again, I'm just a guest preacher. I'm not your pastor, so I'm not calling anybody out. This is an L.A. problem. (laughs) Some of us sacrifice others for a sense of righteousness. Others of us sacrifice ourselves to make ourselves feel righteous. Where I am feeling all the emotions of guilt and shame and fear, and so there's no way I'm going to worship. And it creates a distance from God. I don't deserve to be near Him. I don't deserve to be at church. And then maybe after a little while, after your conscience is soothed a little bit, you feel a little better, you think, okay, now I can go back to worship. That's not the gospel, that's not trusting in the grace of Christ. That even though I blew it, I can go to God and receive mercy and forgiveness and grace because he loves me. Don't distance yourself from God. Don't distance yourself from the church. This is all we have and this is all that we need. These are all attempts at self-righteousness. Don't sacrifice others. Don't sacrifice yourself. It doesn't work. When you're depending on your own righteousness, anything that reminds you that you are not as righteous as you ought to be will crush you. There is nothing that you or I can do to make ourselves righteous. Our practices, our positions, our performance, none of those things have the ability to make us clean. Only Jesus can make us clean. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because we could never do it on our own. We could never make ourselves righteous. When you're self-righteous and you do things that reveal your own unrighteousness, it only reminds you of your sin. But Christ makes us forgetful of our sin. He doesn't trivialize it. He had to die for it. But that's not the lens that he sees us through anymore. In Christ, I can live as though I don't have any guilt because I don't have any guilt. God cares about the objective reality of our sin, but he also cares about the emotional reality of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our sense of being unclean. And Jesus gave his life to take all of that away. Our righteousness doesn't depend on us. That's the first thing we need to understand if we want to grow in confidence in our relationship with God. You have to start there. The second thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to know is that what God does require of you, he provides for you. What God requires of you, he has provided for you. In verses 5 through 7 the writer of Hebrews quotes a psalm and it's Psalm 40 verses six through eight and it's a psalm of David. But what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that it's not only David speaking to us through this psalm. It's also Jesus speaking. Let's look again at verses five through seven. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You see, according to David, according to Jesus, sacrifices and offerings were never the point. David knew that. That's why David said, you desire obedience over sacrifice, right? That God desires obedience, that these sacrifices, they they pointed to something greater. They pointed to someone greater. And when it says here, uh, in the quote from Psalm 40, it says, a body you have prepared for me. And in the Hebrew, that is literally, ears you have dug out for me. And that's interesting because it's an allusion to God making Adam out of the earth. And this is all about Christ taking on flesh. And what he wants us to understand by putting this quotation right in the middle of this passage is that prior to the incarnation, Jesus and the Father had a plan to give Jesus a human body. That Jesus' humanity was essential for him being able to be our substitute. Jesus couldn't only be divine, but he also had to be the perfect man in order to be an acceptable sacrifice for us. Because God has a standard. And that standard is perfection. It's impossible to approach God apart from perfect holiness. Impossible. That's why people were killed when they tried to do it in the Old Testament. You can think of it like this. God has a dress code and all of us are underdressed. Have you ever shown up somewhere way underdressed? It's embarrassing, right? Well, God has a dress code and it's perfect righteousness that God has a standard that you and I could never measure up to. In fact, only Jesus could measure up God's perfect standard. But he goes on to say in verse 10, and by that, he's talking about the, the offering of the body of Jesus as our sacrifice. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Through his sacrifice, Jesus has met God's requirement perfectly for you. Not just the forgiveness of your sins, but verse 10 uses the word sanctified. That means made holy. See, this is more than just forgiveness of sin. You don't just get a blank slate when you come to Jesus. Like, okay, good. Now try again. Do it over. Maybe you can do better this time. It means that in Christ, what God thinks about Jesus, he thinks about you. It's like what Sinclair Ferguson says. As if all the medals and accolades that Jesus has earned through his life, death, and resurrection have been pinned on your chest and all of heaven salutes you. You've been sanctified. That's past tense, made holy. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's not your best, that's his best. That means you're not just forgiven or pardoned. It's that all of Jesus' perfect holiness and obedience is credited to your account and mine. That God thinks about you the way he thinks about Jesus. Isn't that incredible? It could only be Jesus. And he accomplished it perfectly for us. He goes on in verses 11 through 13 He says, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And so the priest who stands daily at his service, there were no breaks The sacrifices could never cease from being offered. And he contrasts the priest standing every day, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that could never take away sins, with Jesus, our great high priest, who once, having offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, sat down. It's powerful imagery. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you know what that means? It means the work is finished, it means there's nothing that you can add to it. Your striving can cease, our self righteous attempts to soothe our conscience can end. Our attempts to make ourselves acceptable to God and others can be a thing of the past. Jesus has accomplished everything we need for us. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? As long as we are in these bodies, there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. But in Christ, we are fighting from victory and not for it. Because he has satisfied the requirement we can find satisfaction in him. Because Jesus has sat down, we are seated with him in heavenly places. Because he has finished the work, we can find rest for our souls. And so we can stop trying to earn it. We can stop living in guilt and shame and fear in our relationship with God. And we can start walking in the freedom that Christ has accomplished for us. Lastly, to grow in confidence with God, confidence with God comes through something that we experience. Confidence with God comes through something that you experience. Let's look again at verse 15 through 18. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so this goes back to that idea of covenant that we talked about at the beginning. Not only has uh, Christ accomplished everything necessary for you and I to have a right relationship with him and to take away our sin, but he says the Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we've been joined to Christ by the Spirit of God. The Spirit gives us assurance that we belong to him. Theologians use the term union with Christ to describe the reality that when you Become a Christian when you put your faith in Jesus, you are united to Him. That Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. You are joined to Him in a union like a marriage. And we're given union with Christ so that we can have communion with Christ. It's about intimacy, it's about friendship. He quotes Jeremiah 31, where he's talking about this new covenant, this new and better way. Instead of approaching God through laws and sacrifices, we can have a living relationship with God by the Spirit. He says, I will put my laws in your hearts and I will write them on your minds. You see, this is so much better than rule keeping. This is so much better than rituals. This is all about a living, real, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. You see, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. That means that the status is ours. The relationship is ours. The inheritance is ours in Jesus. And God enters into this relationship with us, this personal living relationship, because he wants to know us and be known by us. He doesn't just want your allegiance. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants you to just be with him. You know, Jesus just wants to be with you. You know, one of the things I struggle with about my kids getting older, uh, my son's 16, and he just doesn't give me hugs anymore, which is a real tragedy. I mean, I force him, but it's, it's coerced. We train jujitsu together, so every time I go in for a hug, it turns into a takedown attempt and I've got to defend myself. But as as parents, we miss that affection, don't we? As our kids get older. I think the Lord feels that way about us sometimes. Why don't you come close anymore? And I think the problem is We create so much noise and so many distractions in our life that we seldom hear the Spirit beckoning us to Jesus, calling us to be with Him, calling us to be near. Because we do everything we can to fill every waking moment with distraction. And it's easy to drown out the voice of the Spirit. I think if we would just begin to stop and listen for the Lord to seek him, and to wait on him, we would find that he has been waiting for us. And some of us lack confidence in our relationship with God because we're simply not spending time with him. The intimacy is missing. And here's the reality, nothing will satisfy our hungry and thirsty hearts like Jesus himself. But we often substitute that hunger and thirst for other things, whether it's career, or friendships, or social media, or whatever it is. But none of those things are a substitute for Jesus. Only Christ satisfies. See, intimacy with Jesus, it it brings confidence to our fearful hearts because it gives Jesus space to assure us of his love and to remind our hearts that he is with us. The sacrifice of Jesus has given us assurance that we can draw near with confidence, that his affections for us, the way he feels about you, it's unchanging because of Jesus that means we can stop trying to measure up. We can stop trying to fix ourselves, make ourselves worthy of his love, running from him, hiding from him, covering up when we feel like we've fallen short. Because the acceptance that we all long for is found and provided by Jesus. And so if Jesus has done away with the shadow things and the temporary things, why would we want them back? Listen, God doesn't want you to be insecure in your relationship with him. He's told you how he feels about you. Just look to the cross. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. That's secondary. God looks at you in Christ and he rejoices over you as his son, as his daughter. You are beautiful. It doesn't mean you don't still struggle and veer off course at times, but those things don't change who you are. Your identity is that you are in Christ and that is the truest thing about you. And this frees us up to actually enjoy God. It frees us up to approach him with confidence. He says, I want you to come to me and I want you to call me Father. No more trying to earn it. Apart from Christ, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's what it says. There is no longer any sufficient offering for sin. Jesus has satisfied it, it's been done for you. So give him what he really wants. He wants you. Your life. Allow his spirit to lead you. Stop running. He's taken your guilt. He's taken your shame. And he says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. That means he chooses to forget them. To set them aside. That's not the metric by which he relates to you anymore because of Jesus. And all that's required is laying hold of Christ by faith. To see Jesus for who he is and giving him our trust and giving him our heart. And so when you begin to question the way that God feels about you, look to the perfect once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. To reassure your hearts. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we confess this morning that our hearts are hungry. God, we have deep longings and cravings. And we constantly try to fill that hole and that need with with so many other things. We believe intellectually that you're the answer, but our hearts so often just gravitate towards things that, that we can hold with our hands or things that we can see with our eyes. Jesus, we ask that you would give us eyes of faith this morning, To be able to see what is most true. To know that in the midst of our pain and our struggling and our suffering and our longings, God, that you are there with us. Beckoning us by your spirit to draw near. Calling us back to that first love. Calling us back to that place of real desperation believing that you are with us and that you are sufficient to meet every need that we have. God, we sang that this morning, that you are our provider and our protector. And yet our hearts so quickly forget. Jesus, would you send your spirit to fall upon us this morning to bring us back to that place to remind us who we are in Christ, that we have access to your throne as our loving father and it has nothing to do with our performance, with our victories or our failures. It's all by your grace and you call us to come. And so Lord, we wanna do that this morning. We wanna draw near. So God, as we begin to worship through song, partaking of communion together, Lord, we pray that you would meet with us and that you would minister to us as your people, that you would remind us that you really are with us. Jesus, we need you. We need that. In Jesus' name, amen.